At long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. Read my lips. Government is not the solution to our problem. Senator, good morning again in America. Well, look, Big Bird. Yes, we can. Government is the problem. Welcome, everybody, to a liberal and a conservative walk into a bar. My name is Matt, and I'm a liberal. My name's Tim. I'm a conservative. Thank you so much for joining us. Check out our website, libcon.podbean.com. We're in the iTunes store. We're in the Google Play store. We're on Stitcher. Find Tim on Twitter at LibconTim. Find me at LibconMatt and buy Tim's book on Amazon. It's called Things I Will Want. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, just a, what a glorious week Donald Trump had. He really seemed to just be... Walking on sunshine, always really on. came into his own, took control. He did. He did. <laughs> there we go. If you're not picking up on our sarcasm there, then you need to listen to Sharp uh, We're going to tell you what a uh, little bit about this uh, thing with the Iran deal, uh, and then we're going to do a, a deep dive into some uh, education y things uh, for the last half hour. Uh, WTF and something cool. Uh, we'll jump on it here in a second. You doing all right? Doing well. Doing well. Excited for the show. All right. Uh, this was not Trump's walking on Sunshine Week. I totally lied about it. This was Donald Trump in the absolutely horrible, terrible, no good, very bad week. Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't even know where to start. Uh, yeah, the whole thing with the Khan family, the endorsed Brian and McCain. They, you know, they they don't, and then you don't, you don't want to endorse them, and then you do endorse them. Numbers are just going to shit. Staffs revolting. Everything's all over the place. Republicans are bailing. Cats and dogs, men and women living together, mass hysteria. It's 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 awesome. But the at the end of it, uh, basically, Hillary's up in every, and uh, Trump hasn't led in a poll in like two weeks, and he's up. She's you know he's he's down in the real clear average by seven points now. Uh, she's got double digit leads in a lot of polling. They're in trouble. And even and what cracks me up is that even when Hillary does open her mouth, she's screwing up by continuing to hit on the, the email thing and the short circuited and nobody seems to care because it's almost like everyone's picked up on the fact that the, the alternative is Trump. Yeah. That's really the matter. thing. I'm pretty sure that Hillary could jump up and moon the camera right now. And after everyone was finished throwing up, they'd be like, well, we're still voting for you. Yeah. I can't imagine what the meltdown would be that she would have to have. I, I can't, I can't think of something, you know, she would have to, well, the steal from Trump, she would have to roll up and shoot somebody in the middle of the street in order for us to question whether or not she's the better candidate. Uh, This is exactly what all of us Republicans were afraid of with Trump. We all saw it. We all knew that this was the likely thing that would happen. There was the outside chance that maybe you could make something happen there was the uh, very, uh, to me, just unbelievable fact that he actually did get a tiny convention bump, right, that put him in the lead, which to me was terrifying. And I remember I tweeted something about, come on, Clinton, all you had to do was beat Donald Trump. And that bump disappeared so quickly. And Hillary is now crushing him. And I can't imagine it going anywhere but downhill for the Donald. It, she, it, just a, as an idea of how bad it is, he's losing in Georgia, which is the deep South. And it's yeah. really hard for Republicans to, to be losing in that respect. And that, but the thing about it is, is that there were, there were things that, that everybody said would, would be thing would be events that could allow Trump openings meltdowns on the email, which she won't stop talking about and trying to explain and being all legally about it. She just needs to be quiet about it. Just admit that you did something wrong. Shut up and don't say anything else. Stop trying to explain. We're done. That's one. And two, something in the current administration that would make it look a little shady. And the Iran thing was perfect that he had two openings this week in her short circuit email comment, the four Pinocchios off of Washington post, and then the Iran money thing. None of them even moved the needle in his direction. Yeah. So, and frankly, I haven't seen her really, other than the the little email, uh, the little, uh, you know, there's almost no, other than the interviews that she's done, there's just almost no talk of what she's talking about on the trail. Whereas Trump is all over the news. 
constantly with this crap. So, yeah, I don't even know if there's any one of the things. Is there any is there any one of these events that, that honestly, any one of them would have immediately disqualified a Democrat? I do want to point that out. Um, he's gotten like nine of them. Are, are there any of those that you even really want to address? <laughs> well, I mean, I think overall, just that's been the story all along, right? Like any number of things that he has done throughout the course of this entire election would have assumedly disqualified any other candidate. But somehow he always managed to stay on top. But I think now that you're looking at the entire electorate as opposed to just the Republican electorate, those things just aren't going to aren't going to fly anymore. So everything that he's doing is just going to crush him. Uh, as far as if there's any one thing, I, I think the con bit was the biggest deal because this put him directly against what's supposed to be one of his number one groups, which is veterans and the military, right? He's the one that's going to make America safe again. He's the law and order candidate. He's the strong military presence. And here he is bashing the parents of someone who gave their life for this country. And I think that's going to turn off a lot of people uh, who may have been kind of sort of possibly thinking of swinging his way. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I, I think that uh, that was really, I mean, honestly, that was the one that, that, of all of this, I found the most egregious. Um, now he's gone completely off the rails in the last two or three days from a standpoint of how he is talking about Clinton. He's referred to her. He's referred to her as a monster. He has referred to her as a horrible, horrible human being who is out of her mind. He's taking this rhetoric to an entirely new level. The, st- the sort of thing that used to be completely out of bounds in political circles. Uh, on both sides. Obviously he's allowed to say whatever he wants to. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that people are starting to call him out on it, but the con thing, I mean, those, those people, especially his wife, I felt so bad for his wife watching some of the follow-up interviews. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It was very difficult to sympathize with them, to not sympathize with them. Now that said, this was brought up by some of the some some of the conservative media who who all of whom I can't stand, uh, particularly Sean Hannity, who is 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 the worst person on television. Absolutely the worst person on television. He is the most sycophantic, egomaniacal, stupid looking, irritating person out there. But he did have an he did. They did make an interesting point about Patricia Smith. Patricia Smith is the mother of, uh, what was the name of the kid? Was it Sean? That was, is it Sean Smith that was killed in, in Benghazi? I think so. I think that's her son's name who has been all over conservative media screaming and hollering at Hillary. And some people were saying, well, why didn't she get all of this coverage when she spoke at the Republican convention? Because she did. She gave a very similar speech at the Republican convention that Fox news didn't cover just like they didn't cover the con speech, P.S. But then Mrs. Smith didn't get the same level of coverage that the cons got. So the question is, why is there a double standard in that respect? I don't think so for for three reasons. One, the con thing was bringing up a whole nother issue of the Muslim ban and the rhetoric towards Muslims, right? That was that was part of the whole. Now I will admit that for both, with the way the Republicans potentially used Patricia Smith and her guilt and her struggles, um, more not, specifically not guilt, Fox News, but I think her Fox News has really used her, and the way that you could argue that the Democratic Party used the cons. Now, were the cons just really wanting to speak? I mean, I think that's entirely possible, and they were taking advantage of a way that they could speak out against the things that Trump had been, Trump had been saying uh, about people of their faith. Um, so, I mean, I, I, that aside, one, the part of the issue was the way that they were confronting the way that Trump has spoken about the Muslims. So that's part of the reason why that was getting so much play. Whereas with Patricia Smith, this was the same thing that we've been hearing 
We've been hearing that Hillary Clinton lied about Benghazi for forever. This was nothing new. This wasn't something interesting and, and different that got brought up. This was this could easily get lumped into the same old Benghazi stuff that we've been hearing about for the last six months, and we're all tired of hearing about it. Two, the way that the candidate responded. So Hillary responds to Patricia Smith fairly understanding, right? She says, look, that's not what I that's not what I said, but I respect her and what her the sacrifice her son made. And I completely understand that during this awful time in her life that she may have misunderstood what I told her. And I, I don't blame her for that. I'm not upset with her about that. Trump, on the other hand, attacked the cons and not only attacked them, but made a religiously bigoted remark towards them. So, of course, it got a lot more play. He took something that could have been a one-day news cycle good speech and turned it into a major campaign issue and a major story that's lasted for since the convention. So I, I think I think those are not so much three. Those are really the two main reasons why I, I don't think that the, you can really compare these. Yeah, I, I I I agree with you on both counts. I, I do want to make that clear. I didn't. This was not something I necessarily agreed with, but it was something that I thought about long enough to go, okay, I want to look this up just to just to be sure. Um, the particularly when you when you talk about Mrs. Smith as uh, as as not a new thing, she's been she's been doing this for several years now. Um, and she gave largely a similar speech that she's been giving for quite some time at the Republican National Convention. And the cons, I think, came out of nowhere. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Uh, no, not at all. At all. I mean, this was very... And also, you're right in that it addressed a lot of other issues that were per- pertinent to the campaign uh, from a standpoint of you know the Muslim ban and some other things that he's put out there. And this idea that Muslims do not or cannot contribute to our society, which is ludicrous. Um and uh, just such a very public rebuke of that that no one saw coming that was a completely new thing. And I think that's why it got a lot of the, the coverage that it did. And it was largely going away until Trump brought it back. You know, it was going to go down as one of those really cool moments from a convention. And then and it might have gotten brought up a few times during the campaign, but it, it wouldn't have been this thing. Trump did this to himself. He brought it back yeah, completely. He, he undoubtedly did this to himself. And again, because he is uh, this very thin-skinned person who responds immediately out of anger and hostility to anyone who questions him. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which plays into the number one fear that most of us have about Trump, that he is not the type of person that we want having the nuclear codes because he is an incredibly thin-skinned person. Right. If he had had to put if he has to put up with him, if you think about what Obama's had to put up with over the last eight years. Oh, my gosh. And you throw that kind of that kind of stuff at at Trump over the next six months, he's going to he'll just explode. There won't be anything left but hair. <clears throat> anyway, all right, we got to move on. We're going to talk about uh, so the Iran money thing. So you had four hundred million dollars that went to Iran eight months ago, and all of a sudden this came back up in the news because the Wall Street Journal had this report about how we sent four hundred million dollars to Iran. That again, I, I I think everybody knew about it back in January, and it happened the money transfer happened over the course of a couple of days where Iran was also releasing prisoners Trump goes on and says he's seen video of us making effective effectively making a prisoner exchange where I've seen a video that doesn't exist uh, right he saw it as if it all happened at the same time here's your yeah. money now give us the prisoners yeah. yes implying that this was the case and went around telling everybody in his little little rally thingies that this is the case and then eventually had to come back on and walk it back and admit that he hadn't seen it. That's the other thing that's happened is that Trump and his I never back down bubble has been burst not once but twice. 
this week in with his endorsements of Ryan and McCain and this video thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and Kelly Ayotte was another one that he had to come back and endorse. So basically th- this is, is, is at least started to go away. Now I'm sure people are going to keep trying to bring this up because that's what people in Trump's campaign are going to do. They're going to keep hitting on it as though it was a one-to-one ransom thing. It's been pretty widely debunked that it was not. And my understanding of it is that the reason one, we gave them $400 million that we owed them like 30 years ago and just never paid. And this was, this was payment. This was repaying money that we owed them years and years and years ago. That's one, two, it was a cash transfer because we have no banking uh, infrastructure with Iran. So we have no way of writing a check. So it had to be cash. Mm -hmm. Uh, And three, it had nothing to do with the prisoner exchange. That was all arranged separately. That's the administration's tack. That's what most people, again, aside from Fox News and the Trump campaign are saying. Honestly, I believe everybody else. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they Obama's been pretty clear about how all of this went down, what the entire process was. It all makes sense. Is there you know, some part of me that thinks that maybe because they talk about there was these three different negotiations going on and none of those three were, were really communicating with each other. So it's not like this was part of some sort of large deal. Um, I, I guess I can see where maybe it's a little shady in that, you know, would Iran have been willing to give us back the prisoners if we hadn't been willing to fall through on these other aspects of the deal? You know, sure, I guess that's possible, but that's extremely different than some sort of one to one. You took these people hostage and we're going to pay you to get those people back. Um, So at best, this could be construed as mildly shady at at worst, you know, but I, I in no way, shape or form believe that this was some sort of one to one transfer. No, I don't either. I think if anything, it shows maybe just a basic lack of planning because optic, I can see optically where it's a problem. You know, it, it just, it looks bad if you think about it in those terms. Well, you know, maybe we shouldn't have given them the money. Maybe we should have tried to give them the money in December and then gotten the hostages back or whatever. But at the same time, for all we know, the plan was to give them the money in January and get the hostages back in February, you know, and Iran moved it back to make it, make it look shady. You know, you, you, you just don't know. So I, you know, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that this was a, a one-to-one sort of thing, especially when so many people that are experts on the region have basically come out and said, no, this was not, there's no way that this was that, that it was a one-to-one correlation between the two. Um, I've just, I've read in too many places from people that really know what they're talking about, that this is not, that that's not what this was. So just like I've read in too many places from people that really know what they're talking about, that while the Iran deal was not a perfect thing, it was absolutely 100% necessary. So there you go. I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I, I think it's a, I think it's much ado, but, and, and it seems to have done gone in that direction because I haven't heard much about it the last few days. Well, I think you touched on it right there when you when you kind of linked it to the the way people feel about the Iran deal overall. You know, there's a number of Republicans out there, Trump especially, who are extremely anti the Iran deal, whereas the the majority of the world see this as necessary, as a good thing. As do I, that this was an important step in trying to bring Iran sort of back into the world fold. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's why Trump and all of, and people of his ilk are going to be trying to bring this up as much as possible to demonstrate, see how shadily we're dealing with Iran. Yeah. It's just like that awful Iran deal that Iran deal that we made with them. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's that wing of the Republican party that thinks that the only way to deal with anyone internationally is to deal with it with your balls instead of your brain. You know, that's the same ones that were really pissed at just when, when Obama was even talking about dealing with Iran on a diplomatic level in 2008. And it's this, they're the same ones that were against the Iran deal and that are now screaming about the money thing. And I don't know. They just, they seem to very much be in the minority on this one. So 
yeah, anyhow. Next up, Libertarians. The other night, CNN had a Libertarian town hall. Uh, the Libertarian ticket, as everyone probably knows by now, is Gary Johnson and William Weld, uh, both former governors. Both of them actually very well respected. Um, and uh, they're doing okay, but they're not really cracking the 15% level just yet, but they're getting close. Now, there's some talk that the Commission on Debates is going to possibly loosen up the rules and allow at least the libertarian ticket in to the debates if they're close. So a lot of people hate Hillary and a lot of people hate Trump. I would have thought that third party that this is ideal for a third, an ideal climate for a third party to really make a breakthrough, but that doesn't quite seem to be happening just yet. So you between the two of us are our resident libertarian expert You've gone as far as to say that you think more people are libertarians than realize it. So what's a libertarian? Well, the way that Johnson always breaks it down is fiscally conservative and socially liberal. But the libertarian party is a lot like the Republicans and the Democrats in the sense that you've got Tea Party Republicans and Republicans. You've got Bernie Sanders, progressive Democrats, and Democrats. And you've got libertarians. And then you've got Weldon Johnson libertarians. Um, so Weldon Johnson, while they are libertarian and have claimed that title, they are definitely very moderate libertarians. Um, because it does go far beyond just this sort of, well, we're fiscally conservative and, and socially liberal Aspects, You know, if you look at the libertarian platform, you know, they are anti the government getting involved with pretty much anything. Right. They want an extremely free market. Uh, they want the government out of the business of licensing pretty much anything. Um, they don't really like the EPA, whereas Johnson does like the EPA. Um, Just to break in, I, I, I think a good example of a real libertarian as you're putting it would be Ron Paul. Yes. He's pretty libertarian. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably a fair say, but even he probably wouldn't go down. Probably he wouldn't even subscribe to everything on their platform, but at the same time, that doesn't therefore mean that Johnson and Weld aren't real libertarians, right? Because I think that you could definitely make the argument that Trump doesn't subscribe to everything on the Republican platform and that Hillary doesn't, um, believe in everything on the democratic platform. So you've got the libertarian ideals and then you've got their actual candidates. So I, I don't think that by electing Johnson and Weld that we're suddenly going to completely strip down the entire federal government. I mean, these people want to get rid of the income tax, right? They, like they don't believe that the government has the right to be taxing citizens for pretty much anything. Uh, they're allowed to, gather money for the very, very basic uh, duty of defending the country. And that's it. You know, not enough money to be sending our troops all around the world. Just enough to be defending the country. And honestly, I don't really understand where they think they can get even the money for that based on their platform. Uh, because, they, like I said, the government cannot take money from anyone for any reason is the way their platform seems to read. So I, I don't see how they're even going to fund that little bit. Um, you know, healthcare wise, they are obviously repeal Obamacare, get it out of there, get the government out of healthcare pretty much completely. Um, and everyone sort of fends for themselves. Uh, retirement, you know, social security gone, you know, not none of the meet you halfway sorts of proposals that you see from the Republicans for some amount of private privatization, they want it gone. You know, if you're poor, that's your fault. You're poor. Um, if you're rich, well, then snaps to you. Um, so I think more Americans than they realize are Johnson and Weld sort of libertarians. But I would argue that almost no one is a full-fledged libertarian. I think that's a very special breed. But if you bring it... If you bring this party into the mainstream, then their their party's platform is going to become more and more mainstreamed. 
And I think that they would turn into a very center-right sort of party that's probably just a little bit more socially liberal than the Republican Party has been traditionally. Where do they typically stand on what? Now, you mentioned that Johnson and Weld are both pro-choice. Is that is that the libertarian tack? That's the libertarian tack. They basically say this is, I mean, their platform says something along the lines of this is an extremely sensitive issue and people should be left to deal with it as their conscience dictates. So that would mean that Roe Ro v. Wade should stay in place. Translation, they're, they're pro-choice. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think this, a lot of this comes down to when you talk about voting third parties, a lot of this comes down to whether or not you're going to vote on a principle. Because I don't think anyone is going to tell you that, that Johnson and Weld really have a shot at becoming, at actually winning the election. They don't. Um, and the same thing for Jill Stein. So I, st- I used to vote third party all the time. I stopped because I realized in 2000 that my vote would have gone for Gore. Now, granted, in my state, I don't know that it would have made a difference. But at the same time, that sort of sent home everything that would happen in 2000 kind of hit home with with how much votes can count you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Uh, um and that was sort of why i stopped voting third party uh you know i and i I don't know that it it, that it gets i don't i don't know that it gets much more complicated than that if you want to vote on a principle and i think you you can then I, i think you vote third party i think if you really want your vote to you know count to a certain extent, then I think you probably wind up voting for one of the other two. Um, I don't know. Would you, would you argue that point? Well, I don't like the term your vote counting because I think that, cause yeah, I don't really like, either. I feel like, like, like you, I've, I, I voted for, I voted for the third party in every presidential election that I voted for. Right. So the only one I did in 2008, I was out of the country. I didn't vote for anybody, but the other times, Nader in my first two elections and then Gary Johnson in the last one. And I like to think that my vote did count. It counted towards pushing for a third party. Um, and while I do think that this is as good a chance as we've had in a long time to get a third party over the threshold and up and running, at the same time, there is so much animosity towards the other candidate from one group or the other that it's going to be hard to convince those people to vote for a third party because they want so badly to cast their vote against Hillary or they want so badly to cast their vote against Trump um, that I think it is going to be harder than I thought to get people to actually go out and vote for a third party, which is disappointing to me. Now, here's a fun, fascinating thing, though, about the libertarian platform is that I've been voting for a third-party candidate because I want them to hit that 5% threshold, right? So that they start to get some amount of government funding and can then spread out from there. The libertarian platform calls for the government to be to remove all subsidies from elections. So the very thing that I want us to be voting libertarian in order for the libertarian parties to get, the libertarian party wants to get rid of. Um which I Damn it. fascinating. Yeah, like, uh, well, crap, team. Oops. So, and along those lines, they are definitely not a repeal Citizens United kind of group. Like, they think all rules about amount of money that can be spent on elections by different individuals needs to be removed. Gone. Government should not be involved. So you want to talk wow. about an oligarchy. Uh, that's... That would be my fear if the Libertarian Party actually got serious control and they weren't Johnson and Well Libertarians. They were for realsies Libertarians that I, I'm sorry. Like, I, I think the government does have to be involved in to some extent in order to protect the rights of the poor. I, I think it's necessary. Well, I mean, it's 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 that whole idea of whether or not you actually believe society is capable of being 100 percent lawless. And. <laughs> The answer is no. I mean, of course not. <laughs> Duh. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it's like pretending nobody breaks the rules and stuffs ballot boxes or any of the other 
shady election shit that people have done in the last, you know, hundred years. Um, mm-hmm. Before we got into actually having election laws, <laughs> there's a reason why we made them in the first place. Yeah. Um, Johnson, Johnson so. and Weld are both big on saying, you know, Libertarian Party is not the party of anarchy. Blah blah blah. Man, if you read their platform, it's a little, <laughs> it's a little anarchist at times. So. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. And you and I were talking about this earlier, but the the one thing that I find interesting is just in the amount of like I I come home, I sit down, I watch, I I get off work, I sit down, and I I kind of flip through mail and 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 just relax for a little bit, and I turn on CNN at five thirty, and it's usually on for about an hour until about six thirty. From an advertising standpoint, I have yet to see a libertarian ad. I do, on the other hand, see a lot of Jill Stein ads, uh, usually two or three in the course of that hour. So I don't know where she's getting her money, but she's getting good advertising, at least from a national standpoint. So I actually see more of her ads than I do of Trump's, So, which I find fascinating. Um, but... You know, again, I don't know that it's worth anything, and Stein pulls way behind even even Johnson and Weld, so I don't know that it matters. But it, it is an interesting thing. Now, it, it's it's also very interesting to me that she actually attacks. She is on the offensive against both Trump and Hillary. She actively attacks both of them on the uh, on the on the campaign trail, which I don't know that Johnson and Weld are doing. They're, Johnson and Weld are really trying to stay above all of that. Now they will say nice things about Hillary. They struggle to say nice things about Trump. <laughs> so, I mean, they try to just not talk about him. Um, all, so. all but twenty five percent of the population struggle to say nice things about Trump. Yeah. So, so all right. Well, that's about the libertarians. Um, I don't know if we'll maybe we'll try to talk a little bit about uh, about the Green Party next time around if it if it comes down to it. We'll 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 see what we got on the agenda. But uh, anyway, moving along. WTF? Who you got this week? You go for it. Start us off. Man, I got to start with white guys over 60. I'm just, I'm so tired of listening to, I read an interview in Esquire with Clint Eastwood this week. And of course, you know, Eastwood famous for his lecture, the chair thing at the the Republican National Convention uh, in 2012. Now, this is no disrespect to Eastwood as a director or as an artist. It's fascinating to see somebody his age who is still uh, making movies and, and, and passionate about being creative. I think that's great. But at the same time, I am, I am so tired of hearing from people in that demographic talk about how weak we are. And he referred to us as the pussy generation and wow, right. And, and explaining to us that we're just trying to strip be too politically correct and strip all the all the flavor out of everything because we're trying to not offend everybody. Okay, I'm the first person to say that political correctness has gone too far. But that doesn't mean that there isn't room for some kind of decorum and polite conversation. Because that used to exist when they were growing up and they were perfectly fine with it. And now that that some of this political correct stuff has come in and they can't use the N word and they can't, you know, refer to uh, Asians as 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 chinks and and Hispanics as spicks. And and that's then just because they're not allowed to do that. All of a sudden, we've removed all the fun out of their conversations. You know what? Blow it out your ass. It is perfectly fine to make minor demands on conversations and say, you know what? This is not the kind of thing that you hear in polite conversation. That's it. And it was perfectly fine for the African-American community because this is where the political correctness sort of started. The African-American community decided that they were not comfortable with the terms black and felt like there were just stigmas that went along with this. And they wanted to try to find some way of defining themselves as they found their way into American society. And I think that was perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with them doing that. Now, has it gotten blown out of proportion by a lot of people with the offensive and being offended and all this other stuff? Absolutely. That doesn't remove the need for the basic principles of it. And just just, just stop. We are not weak. Our generation is doing just fine. If you want to run around and, and try to be all ballsy and whatever it is you want to do, that's fine. That's your business. But stop insulting us in the process. Nice. Agreed. 
I, 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 one of the things that drives me nuts is when I hear people say, Trump says what everyone else is afraid to say. Well, I, if what you're afraid to say is racist, bigoted crap, then that's not really saying much about you, bro. So, no, I disagree. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, and, and along those lines, also this this idea of we need to get back to when the country was great. I'm sorry. I feel like a lot of times that translates to we need to go back when the country was great for white men. That's what I feel like. That's what I feel like they're saying because it that was so saying. great. Yeah, I, I feel like there's no way around that because I feel like I'm sorry. I feel like the country was great for white men back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but I don't think it was so good for black people and I don't think it was particularly awesome for women. So agreed. Boo white men over 60. <laughs> and I'm going to, and I'm, and, and I'm going to double down on that just a little bit with the, you mentioned something Trump saying the things that, that are, are that everybody's thinking this election is rigged. Crap needs to stop. The media needs to back off it. Trump needs to shut up about it because what that's doing is that is threatening one of the the absolute foundations of American civilization, which is this peaceful transfer of power that we can be assured of every four years. And if you start trying to legitimize the idea, the conspiracy theory crap that goes on in elections when people lose, that's just this. It's the same. It's it's the same stuff when somebody loses a basketball game and blames it on the refs. Okay. It's fine if you want to blame stuff on the refs, but in this case, this is not the kind of thing that you mess with at all. And that's it. And I'm done. Uh, all right. Well, cool. Thanks for stealing my WTF. And um, wait, did I really? Yeah, it's okay. Don't worry. No worries. Because I just I really enjoyed Obama's response to it when when someone when a member of the press corps asked him, he kind of took a minute. It was just I. I don't even know how to respond to that. I don't. <laughs> I, I, I what, that. what is he accusing us of? Like, I, you know, we don't even handle the elections. That's, you know, take, take Texas. The, the Republicans handle the election in Texas. They, they run the voting polls. What are they rigging it? Are you? Yeah. So that, that was mine. but I've got another one. Uh, it's a little more broad and it's not quite, you know, super political, but it plays into Trump and his, his, I guess supposedly he kicked out a baby because the baby was screaming, um, which I don't, I don't know if that was true, but the the whole thing was fascinating. It's it certainly looked true. I saw and the whole it thing. Seems like it, it's true. It, it, it so, looked pretty true to me. Yeah. You know, but but just along those ilk. The uh, last week was I think it was last week was was National Baby um, Breastfeeding Week, and it it astounds me that this is still even an issue such that we need a week in order to bring in order to bring it up. Women breastfeed. Uh, people have babies. Babies can be loud. Babies can cry. This is how we propagate our species. Stop hating on women breastfeeding. This is the normal way for a child to get their nourishment. Cut it out. It's uh, yeah, you're right. I don't why, why was this still a thing? You know? Yeah. Uh, how is this an issue even? I don't understand this. How in this day and age, when we're all accepting the need for organic, natural foods and, and seeing that a lot of these chemicals that we've been using to process foods and put into our bodies aren't particularly healthy for us, how can it possibly still be a thing that we don't want women to breastfeed? Well, and I'm sure there's some, I'm sure Rudy Giuliani some is, is listening to this going, ah, it's not, why are they trying to talk about that? They don't need to talk about that. That's not really a, a stupid just why, why are you trying to you just hippies? Nobody cares about that. Actually, you know what they do? Because people have been getting kicked out of restaurants over breastfeeding for ages. I know. I paid attention to the restaurant industry. I know dozens of people that have been around when women got kicked out or got made to feel bad because they were breastfeeding in the restaurant. It's it just it, it's th this is why we have to bring attention to it because people behave like idiots over it. Agreed. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I always felt I, I was, I, I remember at one point I used, when I was waiting tables, I used to think, well, I, I, cause the first time I walked over to a table and saw a woman breastfeeding, it was one of those, oh, oh, 
Oh, that's what. Oh, okay. Look the other way. Look the other way. Look the other way. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Am I staring? Am I obviously Am I not staring? staring? I don't mean to stare. All right, now I'm, I'm going to stare. I'm going to look. Oh god, now I'm staring at it. I can't. Oh. <laughs> and there was there was and there was a part of me that was just like, you know what? I I don't you know I I mean I I used to think you know what shouldn't you at least use a cover, whatever. If you're not, and then in my head I kind of got to thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? I, I I'm a guy. Yeah. Just because I'm looking at someone's boobs, it doesn't. It really doesn't mean anything. It just means my eyes are open. You know, it it, it, it it's it, this all strikes me as as a ridiculous back and forth and perfectly normal. But I did kind of feel like my deal with women who are breastfeeding was that you know what? If you're good to pop your boob out in public, I'm probably gonna look. If you're okay with it, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it points to that, you know, the fault is ours. You know, she is doing something completely natural and necessary exactly. to feed her baby yeah. and propagate our species. If I can't grow up a little bit, then that's my fault. That's on me. Yeah, exactly. You know, and as I got, you know, more comfortable being around women who were breastfeeding, it was like, okay, now this is not a big deal. I think that was just part of my own naivete of being young and not really having been around breastfeeding a whole lot. Because um, none of us were young in my memory. So it was, it was sort of a... Oh, wow. Wow, that really does happen. Okay. This, is, this is how they feed those baby things. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Now, I, now I understand. Hey, you know what? This is keeping it from crying. So did did you want a salad? Or yeah. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. We got, we're going to talk about education now. <laughs> Speaking of babies and children. <laughs> Speaking of educating things. Um, education has not been a huge thing in this election, really. Have you noticed that it's not really come up a whole lot? Um, Wait, but, what? Swerve? Oh, do you mean like just elementary and secondary? Or well, yeah, I, like I mean all of it. I mean, there's been some discussion about education mo- and debt. Higher education, huge. yeah, higher education and money has been a thing. But like the and how students pay for it. But like the state of it and all of these other things, it hasn't really necessarily come up. And certainly at the state level, which I kind of think is a good thing. But we'll get to that in a second. So. Uh, we're going. We're you know we're going to start at the bottom and work our way up. So we'll talk about uh, elementary and secondary education in the state of things. Um, lots of terms are get get thrown around these days. You have vouchers. You have charter schools. Um, Common Core has been all over the place. Uh, no child left behind, which just got chucked out there. Uh, the federal government has been. Some would say, in fact, and frankly, even I would say, overly involved in education at the local level. So, but the question is why? And the fact of the matter is, is that the United States does lag behind in our education standards for young people. So, you are absolutely the education guru between the two of us. Um let's start off by explaining some of these terms. So first of all, vouchers, how do those work? Charter schools, how do those work? All right. Vouchers. And this is an important information because a lot of people will will think, well, a voucher, a tax voucher, that doesn't do poor people any good because they don't get any money back on their taxes anyway. Not, not accurate because the tax vouchers, these are tax credits. These are not tax deductions. So this is literally the government saying, okay, we spend X number of dollars to educate your child in public school system. So instead of us spending that money, we are going to give you a slightly lesser amount to spend on educating your child in the private school system. That's a tax voucher. All right. And the ones that we see nowadays are currently generally directed specifically at low income families. So they may not allow rich Joe Schmo to get a voucher to educate their child in the private school systems. But a lot of them will use tax vouchers for low income families. Okay. Where does that money come from? Does that come from, that comes from the feds or does that come from the state level governments? Uh, I think it varies. I, I honestly, I, I think that would be the correct response to that. I think it varies depending, but I, so let's, let's go more basic with this. You have Bob's elementary school down the street. Mm hmm. It is a public school. Where does Bob's Elementary School get its money, generally? They get it from three different sources. They get it from the local level. A lot of these places are uh, use property taxes. 
That's why that's why oftentimes you see nice schools in nice neighborhoods because nice neighborhoods have higher property tax and therefore more money to port towards their schools. Uh, then they get some amount from the state. All states put some amount of money into their public school system. And then the federal government gives X number of dollars to put towards public schools. Does the amount of money that the federal government puts into the pot come with any strength? One, does it come with strings? And two, does it vary from state to state, school district to school district? Or does the, the federal government give a flat amount of money to each state for their school system? That has varied because of Common Core and Race to the Top and No Child Left Behind. You got money to pay, with No Child Left Behind. You got money depending on how well your school did with all of this testing. Uh, and then with Race to the Top, if you did XYZ, then the federal government rewarded you with X number of dollars. But the, all that said, there is some amount of money that you're going to get from the federal government no matter what. Fair enough. Okay, No Child Left Behind is gone. Right. We have no more. No child left behind. That's out. Yes. So are the, first of all, are, are obviously there are problems in pre-secondary and secondary education. Where are, is it as bad as it seems? Is it as bad as people seem to say that it is on a lot of, in, in, in a lot of ways, or is this one of those things that tends to get blown out of proportion during election years? Well, it depends on where you go to school and what track you get on in those schools, right? So if you are a successful student who gets good grades and takes all the AP courses and that sort of thing, then you can do, and you're in a decent neighborhood, you can get an extremely good education. And, you know, especially at the high school level, like I said, if you're on the, the honors track, you can arguably get a better education than you can from a lot of private schools, Um because you just have a lot more choice and they, they put a lot of money towards those. Uh, but if you're not in that upper echelon uh, or you're in a poor school system, then I think it is a, a serious issue. Um, and I think if you talk to teachers that it, there's serious discipline issues uh, and there's serious issues from the standpoint of who you, who you've got in the class, right? Because of, the rules regarding students with disabilities, you'll get kids put into classes, into normal classes who really can't keep up uh, who, or who are really unable to control themselves and behave as you need to in a classroom setting. And it damages the teacher's ability to teach the rest of the class because these students over here are requiring so much attention. So I, I, I think there is, I think there is serious issues with education at this time. I don't, I don't think they're being overstated. Okay. So that said, this is where vouchers and charter schools come in. How do vouchers? So we've narrowed the problem down to in poorer neighborhoods, right? How do lower income neighborhoods, how does a voucher system or even a charter school address that need? Well, a voucher gives them choice. This allows them to send their children to a better school. It's pretty straightforward. Um, why is that? Why is that better than say, first of all, hiring more than, than putting that money? Why is that better than putting that money into trying to fix schools in lower income neighborhoods? Well, this goes back to, do you think that the government is a good steward of the money? Uh, because, and, the, and this is the thing that I'll say over and over again, you basically have ended up with public school monopolies, right? Uh, because those kids don't have any other choice. They've got to send their kids to this school. And so those parents don't have any power. There's no, uh, there's no competition. There's no, well, if you're not going to provide this level of education for my child, then I'm going to take them somewhere else. They're just stuck. They've got a captive audience and there's nothing that the, that the parents or the student can do. Well, but you say that as though this is a for-profit endeavor, as though there is someone out there somewhere that benefits from this school being underfunded and understaffed and struggling. 
They may not even be understaffed. They may not even be underfunded. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the the government, because of the, the bureaucracy that gets put in place, is not able to make the the changes necessary in order to give students a better education. Okay, so what is it about that bureaucracy, though? Like you mentioned, okay, so you mentioned um, so uh, not, oh, you sorry. mentioned people with learning disabilities and uh, this causing troubles. In this day and age, people learning learning disability. We we have recognized an awful lot of learning disabilities. Um, we have someone in our family who uh, is has struggled with dyslexia um, and had to, you know, receive a lot of help to get through high school, get through college, um, and has done very well is, is a, is a, is a great guy and, and remarkably intelligent. Um, but learning has just, was just tough at that point. And without it, it helped that his mother was actually a teacher. So that got him a lot of the extra attention that he needed to get the education that he needed. So with other kids that are not quite so lucky, how, it's not like these are things that are hidden. You know, we're not taking these kids and hiding them in the back room and chucking them on short buses anymore. You know, this is this is something that we have a op- more open dialogue about than we ever have. So why is this why is this still an issue? Is it a lack of funding and or is there a stigma going on? Is this is this a function of politically correct society that you know we can't we're trying to equalize things too much? You know, I I, I don't I don't understand why this is still a why is that still a thing? Well, I think the stigma thing definitely plays a role. Parents don't want their kids in a special class. So they want them in the normal class. So there's enormous political pressure for them to be put into a normal class. Um, and whereas I, I think, you know, if you had, you know, we've, we also have a cousin who, who's autistic. And I think that her parent, their, their parents would be grateful for some form of tax voucher system that would give them the money to, instead of having to send their kid to the normal public school, they could send their kid to a school that's specialized in working with children with autism. Well, okay. And that I understand, you know, or if you have somebody who specializes in education and working with dyslexia or things like that, that's a, that's a specialized sort of thing that maybe the state can't necessarily run. Um, or, you know, or, or it's more difficult to sort of segment off a wing of a particular building and say, okay, well, that's a special school because, you know, kids are, kids are assholes and, you know, they would re- respond badly to those students, I think. Um, so uh, that much I understand, but just saying, I'm, explain to me why just in the average student, the voucher system is not just punting. On, the, on public education. Because like you said, there are good public schools out there. And sometimes within the same district, there are good uh, public schools and bad public schools. So why is the government perfectly capable of running this public school in this neighborhood, but they're not perfectly capable of running this public school in this neighborhood? And thusly, we should just kick the whole system in the curb and, and go with vouchers. For me, again, it comes down to I I can't explain exactly why the government has consistently failed to provide across the board equal education for all students. There are a thousand reasons for why government bureaucracy gets in the way, whether it is, um, you know, teacher seniority. Right. So teachers get paid based on their seniority as opposed necessarily to merit. So you get teachers who are tenured that nobody can do anything about and they just get shuffled around and end up at the crappy school because that's where parents will make the least amount of fuss. Um, maybe this is some, this is because of the stringent rules, uh, and paperwork and busy work that get put onto teachers in public schools because, uh, it's a government school and they want an exact accounting of this and this and this and this and this, uh, to where teachers spend all their time on paperwork and trying to make sure that their students pass, uh, this standardized test so that they can get X amount of funding. Um, whereas if with a private school, you just, you get rid of all that. You get rid of all of that BS and parents can send their schools to whatever they're send their children, to whatever school they want. And if they don't like that school, then they can just move on to another one. And that 
school that they're leaving had better shape up and fly right if they don't want to lose all their students. Well, but why are teachers treated especially in that respect from a standpoint of uh, not letting people go if they're underperforming? Why is that a why is that a special thing? If I don't do my job or if I don't show up on time or if I don't, uh, you know, perform well, then I'm going to lose my job. Is that not the case with teachers? Very strong teachers unions. Well, there has to be some, I'm sorry, there's got to, there's got to be some way of, a, of addressing that, of sitting down and figuring that out. That's ridiculous. Look, I mean, that's just the way just it because is. Someone like, has a, just mean, because someone has a union, uh, just because someone has a union doesn't mean that, that all of their, that bad employees should be immune to disciplinary action. Look, I mean, there's a big difference between a teacher who never shows up, right? Obviously, that's going to lead to somebody getting fired if you just don't even show up for work. But if you are just a crappy teacher who's just going through the motions because you've been doing it for 30 years and you're just kind of broken, yep, nothing nothing really that's going to be done there. I mean, and I agree that this is ridiculous and this is not the way that it should be, but this is what happens when you have the government in charge of everything and public schools have a monopoly and a set audience. You know, that audience can't go anywhere because they're in that school district and they're just stuck. That's just, this is just what happens, man. I don't, I don't, that's all I got. Well, I, I don't know that, I, I, I don't know that I, I agree that it's quite that black and white. But anyway, um, talk to me about charter schools. What, what, let's, let's right, talk well, about now, let char- me, well, charters, let me flip that around. Let me flip that around. Why not do the voucher system? Why not give parents choice in what school they send their children to? Why not? I don't see it because we talk about punting on public education. I'm not talking about getting rid of the, the opportunity for education. I'm just saying pay for it a different way. Well, but you have mentioned that, that ultimately that was a goal. Like I, at one point I, I, I mentioned the idea of, of, well, if you do that, then that, well, if you, if you really go take that to its extreme, then that'll lead to the death of the public school system. And your response was good. The public school system um, as we know it. That doesn't mean that just this is not public education. If it's still getting paid for and everyone's still ha- by the government and we still have the opportunity to send our kids to get educated, this is still public education. We're still providing education for everybody, but it's just being done in a different way. So, yes, absolutely. Death to the public school system as we know it. But it doesn't mean that we're somehow punting on our responsibility to educate our citizenry. Well, and I also think that that it doesn't it doesn't necessarily fix the problem by yanking money away from taking money away from neighborhood schools and trying to use that to send kids to private schools um, that takes it takes that money out of the system. And how does it not wind up costing more? Because you're still going to you're going to take a school that's already struggling, take money away from it put it into the voucher system. So the school's only going to continue to get worse. You might as well just shut the thing down, you know, cut the foreplay and, and, and move on, you know, or you're going to continue to fund it and you're going to spend more money sending kids to private schools. Well, so then you've got a more expensive system. You see what I'm saying? It, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't see how it makes sense to do both. Well, a, if there's few, a, I, I agree. Cut the foreplay and change the system. But B, the more that if so, say you start having some more, more and more students go to private schools, right? Then the public schools just shrink. It's not a matter of well, they still have to keep paying for the same number of teachers and the same number of schools and the same number of everything, regardless of having fewer students. No, you would start to cut back on the number of teachers at a school and start to combine schools and consolidate and save money because you don't have as many students to educate. So you don't need as much money. Well, and then how does that also, how does that work in areas that don't have private schools? How does that solve some of these problems in more rural areas where there are no private schools where that rely entirely on public education and there are still problems? Well, I think that if you had a public, a, a, a nationwide voucher system that you would see private schools rise up in areas where there are not currently that many private schools. I mean, I would argue that there's probably a private school in the vast 
majority of cities across the across the nation. Um, but if this was if this was the direction we were moving into, then you would see more private schools rise up. Because in in poor communities, the reason why you maybe don't wouldn't see that many private schools is because no one can afford them. But if you now had tax vouchers, then people would be able to afford them. Well, I still don't see how that doesn't lead to. I, I still don't believe that that doesn't lead to. Uh, one, I think it opens it opens up a tremendous door to, to corporate corruption, um, and manipulating the system. That's one. Two. I still don't see how that ultimately solves the cost issue because I just don't see how that doesn't make the system more expensive as it is. Private um, schools educate kids for cheaper. This is why they're more efficient. Well, then why don't we look at some of those systems that they're using and try to apply those to public schools. And you get back to government bureaucracy and inability to make changes. I mean, I agree. Like I like charter schools. I I agree that there are things the government could do, but because it's the government and by nature inefficient and incapable of change, it doesn't happen. No, I I just, I, I don't know. I think that's a bullshit answer. I think that that's, I think that's kicking the problem to somebody else. Government is to just say as a blanket statement, government can't do things efficiently. Thusly, we can't trust them. Thusly, we have to push money somewhere else is is just it's 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 running from the problem. I, I, I don't I don't agree with it. And I don't I don't like that response. There are always things that can be done to fix problems. Well, I think we've hit on a primary difference between Democratic thinking and Republican thinking. So who well, knows? Yeah. Talk to, about, talk to me about charter schools. Charter schools are basically the, the government's, the government acknowledging the fact that they cannot adapt quickly enough to the needs in our education system and have said, okay, you know what? We're going to fund this school, but we're not going to have anything to do with running it. That's basically it. So charter schools are private schools that are completely funded by the government. They don't mess with how they're run or, or the rules and laws. For That's completely up to the school itself. The school handles all of that. The government just pays for it. But if they start to fail, then the government still has some control over how the money is spent, right? If there is any sense that the... In the sense the, of the, shutting the, them down and yeah, like clo- the closing the school, yes. Uh, and I mean, all of these charter schools. So they are have still accountable. So they are charter. still directly accountable to. They are still directly accountable to taxpayers. Yes, in the sense that they can get shut down, or that their yeah. charter could get given to another group to come in and run right. the school. Yeah, and see this, this, this I have no problem with. That, I, how is I just that different? See, I don't understand how that's different from tax. Voucher, it is really. a lack of accountability. It is an absolute lack of accountability because the moment you start saying, see, again, this is, this is another one of those things that is just so, and, and why anyone, anybody, why anybody can look at any private entity, anything that has gone on in the private sector universe over the course of the last 30 years from an abuse standpoint and go, yes, now we need to put them in charge of education is, is just, it, it, that to me is just as wrongheaded as what you're saying. And I don't want my tax dollars going to some kind of private entity that is not accountable in some way to the taxpayers. I don't. Well, the private school is accountable to say, the taxpayer gonna... who's sending their child to that school. And if they don't like it, they can send them to somewhere else. They're accountable. But not if they're the only private school in the area. I mean, you're acting like, you know... But, ooh, tax vouchers. Let's go put nine private schools in Harlan County. No, that's not going to happen. You might get one extra one at most in areas like that. Or they might put one private school to service. And even if you did have one private school pop up in an area like, say, Harlan County, which is massive, you're going to have kids that have to drive 30, 40, uh, 30 to 45 minutes just to get to school, which, I mean, they have to do now. But... Uh, so that doesn't necessarily address all of the problems, but um, you know, it's it's not gonna. It doesn't fix the situation, and there is again, there is no accountability. 
And the charter system to me has always made more sense because at the very least, there is some amount of taxpayer control. And it seems to me like a good middle ground. It has always seemed to me like a good middle ground between the two. I mean, sure. Great. I, I, I'm not arguing against charter schools. I like charter schools. I think this is a good idea. Let's do it. Well, there we go. Charter schools, America, go for it. <laughs> do it now. Do you think? All right. We don't have time to talk about college. We're going to have to do that. We'll, we'll do that next week um, because we are far over time. So, uh, yeah. Have you anything more to say about education? Are we even done talking about secondary education? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think we've kind of hit on where Republicans and Democrats are just going to disagree about the the best group of people to run something. Um, and charter, you're probably right in that charter schools are a good middle ground. I'm sorry. Did you say I was? Did, what, what did you just? What did you just say? Did you say that I was right? Easy Tiger. I feel like that's what you I, said. I said I you're like right you said about it right. being the, the the only middle ground available. But now, good luck, Democrat, on fighting all the teachers' unions <laughs> in order to get these charter schools in place. So go well, get them, but, Tiger. I mean, I, and I'm not saying that you you can't do that. But again, I I feel like there has to be some way of standing up to teachers to unions without disbanding unions. You know, again, with this all or nothing sort of response, unions are a pain in the ass. So thusly, we can't have any unions. We have to disband them and be entirely right to work. It's that's just you know, there there has to there has to be a better way than that. That's but that's me. Maybe that's just me and my 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 hippie happy thought utopian thinking but that's the way i think so deal with it anyhow um all right so well have you anything else no i'm good fair enough all right something cool this week the uh in wichita kansas uh, a couple weeks ago the police force reached out to black lives matter protests and had a town-wide cookout uh in order to bring those two communities together that had a lot of success with it and announced this week, they're going to continue to do the same thing uh, again and again and again in order to bring those two communities together. I, I am, I am over the moon to hear that some communities are out trying to do that uh, in the town where I work. We have what's called a national night out where the uh, uh, police officers effectively run sort of a carnival kind of uh, atmosphere and, and people can come out and uh, interact with the police and talk to them. Uh, more events like that are absolutely necessary and I hope that there is a massive proliferation of that sort of thing uh, as we try to sort out a lot of the problems that we've seen over the last few months. That is definitely something cool. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, check us out on Twitter. I'm at LibCon Matt. Tim is at LibCon Tim. Uh, we hope you have an outstanding week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.